0: Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. Pastor Hayden, you ready for this? I'm ready. Been ready. Ready. I'm here. Well, he's here, and I'm joined with him here in this moment. (laughs) But hey, y'all, here at Compass, we exist to make disciples. We're going to say this over and over because this is the mission of this church to reach people for Christ, to teach people to be like Christ, and to train people to serve Christ. And everything that we do, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission to reach, teach, and train. All right, Pastor Hayden, you just preached just moments ago uh, your part two of, of teamwork out of Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, kind of. But kinda. let me read to you uh, verse 9 of Colossians as we're wrapping up uh, the, our very first book as a church. So Colossians 4, 9 says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Well, it feels weird to say we're wrapping up our our first book of the Bible, Pastor Hayden, because I feel like you actually taught both Colossians four and nine and an entire book of the Bible. I did. Do you, do you do you care to explain yourself?
1: Sure, guys. If you were there this morning, you recognized that we spent a brief time in Colossians four and nine because really the context of four and nine was in the book of Philemon or the letter, if you will, of Philemon. And so we spent all day in that service and during the preaching portion on uh, Philemon and how Paul had called uh, Onesimus, a runaway slave, to reconcile with Philemon and the church there in Colossae. And so really the whole focus of that message was that Christians must embrace the radical transformation that the gospel brings to every relationship In our lives, and there are so many great things to uh, take away from the context and the content of this message. Uh, But really, we summed it up in three statements. Number one, we need to comprehend our communal connection. And for us, that just means that word koinonia that we talked about so much means more than just hanging out, going to church, being in life group. Uh, it means as much and even more as the very uh, child that you have born and the, the very relationships that you have. It runs deeper than marriage and parenting. It's, it's something that we have through the commonality of the blood of Christ. And so uh, it we need to comprehend that. And can we fully? I doubt it, but it's something that we have to make sure that we understand as we are living this life together as Christians. Something that he called, he, as in Paul, had called Onesimus uh, and Philemon to uh, consider as they were reconciling their relationship. Uh, number two is we need to prepare to reconcile with others. I think that one of the mindsets that we could have that's unhelpful is that relationships should always be right Uh, and there should never be anything going wrong, and if there is a reason to reconcile, then that means there's a reason not to have a relationship with that person. That's just the wrong idea of relationships. We understand that just like marriage, just like any relationship that's even worth having, there's going to be times of disagreement, of even division, Uh, And disunity. And we got to make sure that we are prepared now to reconcile relationships with other people uh, even before they happen. And I just think the worst thing we can do is expect nothing to go wrong. And if something does go wrong, we try to leave and become the runaway like Onesimus. We got to make sure we're dealing with problems head on. And three, we need to follow biblical leadership. And I hope this didn't seem like it was coming out of left field uh, because I don't think it is in the text. Uh, I think the whole text is governed by the biblical, godly leadership of the Apostle Paul. And how he was uh, walking step by step with Onesimus, with Philemon, with the church in Colossae, with uh, Apphia, uh, and the whole church really, Uh, and just how important it was to have good biblical leadership to really broker uh, and mediate that that reconciliation, much like we all need that kind of good godly leadership in our own lives as we are uh, reconciling broken relationships and trying to learn how to live godly biblical lives
0: well pastor Hayden if you had your your way you would have be able to preach a uh, four-hour sermon to explain <laughs> a whole letter and you know because there's a lot there it's not mm-hmm. because you like to talk it's just you know god's word has a lot to, to right. offer and just a couple of things i noted down during during your sermon i love the point that you made i love for you to kind of expound upon more is just making sure that are we are we a, a refreshment to other people do we refresh others you know what are some of the notes that you had down that you were able to go further in because of a time constraint.
1: Yeah, I love that, uh, the word refresh, because uh, a lot of, I, that just seems like one of those words that you can take and make it mean whatever you want, and that has got to be where you stop and say, don't do that. I want to, I want it to mean whatever the Bible makes it mean, uh, whatever the usage determines, and the usage determines here, that word refresh means to give rest and to give, to almost make it like an oasis, like you're an oasis to somebody. Uh, and just like the gospel is an oasis to us who live in a dry land and we were dry bones and God had brought us life and was that oasis in the midst of a, of a deserted world, really, uh, that Christ had given us that rest in Him and how we ought to be uh, the oasis in the lives of others. And I didn't even use the word oasis, but it just seems like a good picture of, of what it means for us to be that for other people And reconciliation does that. Uh, Reconciliation does that. The kind of benefit that we are to people that we're not even in bad relationships with or haven't created any conflict, to know that you are called as a Christian to be an oasis for brothers and sisters in Christ uh, would would create such a welcoming environment. And it's not just a practical thing. It's a biblical command to be a refreshment to one another.
0: Another thing that I I noted during your, your sermon is about how... The, the it's the terms of reconciliation it's a, it's a church-wide matter not just mm-hmm. a, a personal matter. Do you want to ex- kind of expound upon that, you know, there's a, towards the end of the sermon and you were kind of
1: running out of time. What, what did you mean by like this is a, a church issue? Yeah, and I said the con I said the comment that it was it's a personal relationship with communal implications. Uh, what I don't mean by those things or that every single one of your disputes has to be drug out on stage in front of the whole church every single time. Or uh, that if something happens, we need to post about it, or it needs to be uh, it needs to be brought before the whole church. I mean, there there is ways. Even at right, Matthew eight, no, what, about reconciling, about the way that we ought to reconcile, bring people before uh, you, bring them before two people, and then take them before the church, and after that, have nothing to do with them. What, what was Matthew that? Matthew nineteen. Matthew nineteen. I almost said eighteen. Nineteen. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, there's there's ways to do these things biblically, and to reconcile doesn't mean we bring it and we throw everyone's, you know, trash and skeletons all throughout the church to, well, remember, it's a whole church issue. But what we have to understand is nothing happens. You don't happen on an island. Your faith isn't on an island. Your reconciliation isn't on an island. And the good news about that is the way that you reconcile is known in the church. And that is a beautiful thing to know that people who had conflict and division are now in union together through the blood of Christ, and I think that is just so important. Yeah, but there is that line that I, I, you know, when you preach, you can't preach every single line you've ever wanted to say about a given topic, and that is just one thing that, you know, I'm glad we can say on the podcast. We're not talking about dragging everybody in front of the pulpit and bringing up the problems. Is you know?
0: Matthew 18, as one chapter i, I the See, sorry.
1: that's what I was thinking. I was like, 18, eight, 18, that's right, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. See, that's. I mean, that's a great recognition. of that's a, not at all what I mean, uh, there is a time for it, uh, but it's not the first step. Uh, but even in that first step in Matthew 18, it's still saying, hey, this is a church issue. It's right? it's it's a it's a ecclesia issue. It's a people of God issue. So that's just really what I mean by that. I don't want to overstate or understate. That's just what I mean. It, it's a church issue. Even though being a church issue, it doesn't make it all 300 people at Compass Bible Church right now have to know every single thing that happens. But it does involve everyone, even in an implicit way when it comes to the way that you act in the congregation
0: and just for a moment as we kind of wrap up until uh, before we get to the application question something you were talking about with that quote you had us write down the personal relationship with communal implications mm-hmm. with our with our faith with God you know that's stepping into a, a theological topic that a lot of people really don't know and wrestle with it's the vertical versus the horizontal you know for a lot of we might look at the more progressive and, and left leaning churches the more liberal churches they're going to focus on the horizontal the the, the neighbor mm-hmm. and for a more evangelical it's going to be no it's the vertical. when the Bible is clear it's it's a both and. Mm-hmm. You need to have a personal re- relationship with God, but that's going to affect that's going to affect everything around you. Do you want to kind of dive in a little deeper to help our, our congregation just understand that a little bit more as they try to wrap their minds around this little bit?
1: Yeah and I think Jesus says it the best and I paid the best that is just the fact that when we look in things like uh, Mark uh, 12 30. Uh, And it talks about how you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor. I just love it. And I know the Ten Commandments, you can divide them up that way too, and it makes sense. But it just says it. It's just very clear that uh, there is no uh, division in the way that we love uh, people and God in the sense this that your commitment to love God overflows into your relationship with people, and the way that you love people says a whole lot about the way that you love God. And it's like, there—I mean, there's your answer, and you can't tell me you love God when you, when you trash people, uh, and you can't tell me that you love people when you don't love God. It's just, it it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, that's where I would just like to land that, is it is a both-and. It's a horizontal, and it's a vertical, and it all has implications and applications in our life as Christians.
0: All oh, right. And almost we were going through the application questions earlier, and we were like, man. I wish our our life groups were meeting this week. <laughs> right, yeah. But, but we want to encourage you to do the uh, the the application questions. If you're married with your spouse, if you're single, just do it and reach out to someone within your life group because these questions are going to be really helpful for us as a church to be able to stay unified. And Pastor Hayden, what's a
1: and all the questions are good, but mm. what
0: are one or two questions that you said Th- these are really some of your favorite questions uh, for this week?
1: yeah i mean i like two and four i mean i like two because i like how it makes us think right acts two forty two through 47 gives a uh description of some of the ways that the early church lived in community together and they went very very far in their commitment to one another in their koinonia and i want that to challenge you it's not that our church is going to ask everyone to sell everything they have and uh, not that the church was asking for that. That's a really great point about the early church. They weren't asking for those things. That stuff was done volitionally through the lives of the Christians, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is, it's, it, that text to challenge us and say, man, am I living koinonia? Am I living the fellowship and the communion? Because you, know, you, you got to dis- try to disconnect this idea of church on Sunday is is is, that's what it means to be part of the church i mean this is a great example and a description of this is how the early church acted and you can look throughout history and it's always more than sunday and it's always more than putting dates on the calendar it's a life that you're living with one another Uh, and the question is is good here what are some benefits you can find in this passage when christians commit to sharing lives with one another and what are a few ways you can begin sharing your life with other christians starting now all i want to say and i just i want to appeal. Uh, just out of logic and out of your experience when you're listening to this, you if you don't feel connected to our church, or maybe this is the first time you've ever felt really truly connected to a community of people, if you don't feel connected, the answer, the question is why? And why have you never felt connected to a church? Why have you never felt connected to people who have been bought by the precious blood of Christ when you're saying you've been bought by the precious blood of Christ? All I'm saying is I will posit it that perhaps that you have not, Connected in a fellowship kind of way that the Scripture teaches. You haven't gone deep enough, you haven't gone far enough, and you haven't committed enough of your life to the people of God. And I just want to challenge you with that, uh, not to to make you angry or not to make you uncomfortable, just to say, hey, that thing you're looking for is right in front of you. Uh, Maybe you just need to take that participation a little further, and you'll probably jump into the community that you've been looking for for a long time. And then, uh, oh, you, have, you have something to add to that? Oh, sorry. No, I made a hand
0: gesture back. Oh, but you see, okay. question number four. What about, yeah. what about question number four?
1: I like that one. Uh, and I, I like it because it's not that because I'm a pastor, Pastor Evan, and you're the pastor, that we want people to look at us and think that we're just the, the awesomest people. But, you know, we're pastors because we truly believe uh, that Christ teaches that there are elders, overseers, and shepherds over the congregation, and that there are people who are called to that role. Believe me, if it wasn't in the Scripture... I wouldn't. I won't. I, there's no reason for me to do this. No reason for you to do this. We can do other things, uh, but we've, we're called to this. We are compelled to do this, and because of that, uh, you know, we are also compelled. To, like I was saying in the sermon today, as we we're looking at Acts 20:28, 20, is that God has placed uh, godly leaders, and I, I let me just use the word pastors, to pay careful attention to the flock and to care for them. And that right there should give you, know you as you're listening to this, a lot of comfort and a lot of solace uh, and a lot of trust in your congregation and in your leadership. And I understand maybe you're one of those who you've had bad pastors. Welcome to the club. I've had a lot of bad pastors. And all I'm saying is bad pastors uh, don't mean churches are bad. That means you had bad pastors. And we're going to do everything we can to be good pastors and knowing that you have pastors who are looking over the flock and caring for the church should be a great benefit for you, and it should give you rest. This would refresh you, that you have pastors who care about you. And so the question is, how does following this kind of leadership provide an environment for godly reconciliation and unity? And I can even add, add the question, how does it refresh you, knowing that you have pastors who truly love you and care about you? Not that we're patting ourselves on the back, uh, our hope is to bring more pastors on who are qualified, who will truly care for the church. But I want you to consider that and think about that as you read through those verses there, Hebrews 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5. All right, we are in our moment of our daily Bible reading spotlight, which has just been a true treasure in my life as we're going through this, uh, getting uh, just some good context as we're jumping in each week. Uh, this week, we're looking at Second Chronicles 1 through 16. We're in the second one. That's good stuff.
0: We're in the second half <coughs> of, the f- of the of book. the book of the
1: f- of the scroll, it's the one. Here. It's
0: one book. So if one whole one. If you remember that, it's there's no drop off. It just was one scroll. Is two scrolls. It's supposed to be one book, well, but it will be two. It will be two w- when you read it. When you read it. <laughs> All right, well, compass. Again, I am so proud of you. You are continuing your. your we're almost finished with the narrative of the of the Old Testament. Once we finish Chronicles, we got Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, and that concludes the the narrative books of, of the Old Testament, and then we'll enter into the prophets. Actually, oh, no, uh-uh. just kidding. Uh-uh. The Psalms, uh-huh. Job, Saul, Proverbs. I know the order of the English <laughs> Bible. But as a reminder, th- this is just the affairs of the uh, days of the, the exiles returning from Babylon. They're recounting their nation's history and kind of answering the question, how did we get here and, what, and what's really happening? I want to remind you, and again, we're we're going to conclude uh, the Chronicles uh, next week. And I want to remind you every time is that this book was written by, you know, most likely by Ezra to the exiles to encourage them to continue to follow God because God has been faithful the entire time. We kind of have to put ourselves in their shoes a little bit as we as we see now in the first 16 chapters of Chronicles. You know, the temple as David at the end of First Chronicles is getting the temple ready. Now the temple is being built. It is built, and then it's there. The presence of God, as we talked about last week, is is in Israel. It's displayed there, um, but it's all leading up to its eventual destruction, which in their mind may have looked like God lost but he never lost in the first place so you need to remember that this is all culminating to the destruction of the temple and then then the last couple of verses of the book of Chronicles which lands with hope but that's for next week well the characters that you're going to be encountering with is one the temple as we talked about last week but also the kings of of Judah the the David dynasty starting with King Solomon and going on from there but something about circling back to the character of the temple is that to kind of show you and prove to you that this is the temple is supposed to represent God's presence. You're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 this week, where when Solomon, he's finished this amazing prayer, which you make sure you pay attention to that, to that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, we saw that before where? In the tabernacle, as we we saw that in Exodus. But also we saw that again where? Well, in Exodus when there's a pillar of fire. The the fire is a representation of the presence of God. And so it was so amazing that in verse 2, the priests could not even enter the house of the Lord because the glory filled the house. It was so awesome. And man, I wish I was there to be able to see that happen. I think I would have cried. so,
1: And, And in fear. I probably would have too. And needed a
0: change of clothes. But the point is that the the Israelites right then and there got to see with their eyeballs the presence of the Lord enter the temple, which is, is which is an amazing thing, but it's also gonna be something that they're gonna be held accountable to, which we're we're gonna read in a second. Or we'll read it later this this week, I should say. But a helpful outline for you guys to know is that the, for the book of second Chronicles, the second half of Chronicles is the first nine chapters. That's, this is going to be the reign of Solomon of some different info. Uh, next, the next uh, tr- chapters, the rest of the book is just the reign of the Davidic dynasty of the different Kings of Judah. Now the other Kings of Israel are mentioned, but again, the focus is the Davidic dynasty of, of, of Judah, uh, the Southern kingdom. Cause remember the, the kingdom split after Solomon. And then the last Two verses of the enti- of the book of Chronicles is kind of where we'll focus on next week, but a key verse, a key chapter, key text to kind of help you out to think about what's going to happen as we read, you know, the kings over again. Oh, there's a little bit of new detail that's nice, and why is it kind of covering up sin? Why are they mentioning all these uh, different sins? Is Second Chronicles chapter seven. This is when after the presence of the lord has entered the temple versus chapter verses 12 through 22 you should probably put an asterisk or a star in your bible to remember this is going to be helping you understand what's about to happen with all the other kings you know, god he appeared to Solomon. and he he says these words to him and i want to read verse 14 to you he said if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, God knows that they're going to sin. But he's saying, if you, if you repent, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to forgive you. You'll be able to stay. But, in verse 19, but he says, But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes, forsake my commandments, that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name a set apart, made holy for my name. I will cast you out of my sight, and I will make a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And when people see what happened to Israel, it's going to be a wisdom proverb for them to see and recognize who Yahweh is. And so that's what we're leading towards, is that Israel is going to reject God. Israel, or Judah is going to worship other gods, and what happens? God plucks them out of the land. God fulfills his promise. And when people see what happened, they're not going to go, oh, no, They're gonna, what's going to happen? They're going to actually say, no, it's because they abandoned the Lord, the God who you, they brought them out of Egypt, the God that they saw with their own eyes enter the temple, that's the God they rejected. And that is what's happening. So the key teaching that you're going to see throughout this book is that God's plan is going to come to pass. If you, If he says, you do this, I will do this. We need to trust in that. And that's for the you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We need to trust in, trust in God. What, what's the promise that we as Christians look forward to? Well, we're looking forward to Christ's returning. That the whole Bible is pointing towards Christ. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter five verse thirty nine. He's talking to the Pharisees who were you know looking for eternal life. He says, "You search the Scriptures because you that in them you think you have eternal life." It is that they bear witness about me, the scriptures, the temple, the sacrifice, everything that we're reading in Chronicles is pointing towards Christ, that the presence of God is no longer in a building. It is now in a person now that we're the presence of God, that we're going to be in it for eternity to come. So the point for you and I is that we can we can trust God when he says that Jesus is going to return. That is one of the hopes that when we die, we're going to resurrect, that Jesus is going to return. Like Matthew 16 and many other texts say, like verse 27 in Matthew 16, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and repay each person according to what he has done. The book of Revelation might be terrifying, but it should be terrifying for non Christians. But for Christians, the book of Revelation is an encouragement. Why? Because this is it. God said, I, I'm going to re- I reveal to you what I promised to do to come. And the book of Chronicles is trying to show these exiles hey, God's word came to pass. So all the things that have yet to be fulfilled, we can trust in that, like the coming of the Messiah. Well, for us, the coming of the Messiah was already happened the first time. Now, there's a second time to come, and as Christians, for you and I today, the Book of Chronicles should help us remember the other promises that God says, "I will return, and I will take my church into my presence." And that's going to be an encouragement to us as we read the Book of Second Chronicles. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, this is kind of now we're entering our uh, current event uh, topic, and. Uh, we took a little detour last week, and I want to jump back on real fast about church planting. We had Pastor uh, Mike Fabars from our Sending Church come and talk about his vision of church planting, and that's what we did about a year ago. You and I almost, uh, actually, one year ago, moved from California, and you re- you returned home, and I I entered Texas for the first time. So, you know, I just wanted to ask, like, what did Compass look like when, one year ago, and what does it look like? You know, what happened, and then what does it look like? what would it look like to come
1: yeah <clears throat> you know it's been a big blessing to be over the last 12 months to think uh, we've been in our homes if you came with uh, a large cohort of us that we call uh, our launch team there was around 70 uh, something of us including kiddos and if you were in that group you a year ago uh, the main group anyway you you moved into your home over the la- next couple of weeks uh, we my wife and i moved into our home on may the uh, 18th you guys moved in June 6th may 28th may twenty. May 28th oh just a week later okay yeah they moved in a week later uh, you know and so we weren't we did we weren't we didn't have a church so to speak at that point we had a professional moving business we didn't have a professional we could have, for free we could have launched the moving business uh, but you know we we were here we we're kind of nomadic and we uh you know were're waiting Uh, to to the plan to launch in the fall. And in the meantime, we began creating, um, we had a life group that was meeting here a couple of months prior to us all moving here, and as people moved here slowly, that group grew and grew and grew, and we ended up uh, launching a bunch of life groups out of that single life group. And that life group, the single one that we had here, is still functioning, which is really, really cool. Our oldest life group is well older than our church. Neil and Valerie Randazzo. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, And then, uh, you know, throughout the summer, we started having uh, prayer meetings on Sunday mornings at my house, uh, and then we got to where we began having evening Bible studies at the World Indigenous Missions Building, where it was 5,000 degrees and only... 50s, 60s, 70s, and people <laughs> could fit in there if we squeezed them real tight. Don't worry, the kids' rooms upstairs the, 8, And the degrees. kids, yeah. And then the kids met upstairs, and it was really cool because we had two services out of there, and it was just a really sweet moment in the history of our church because it was uh, uncomfortable. But it's that, you know, it's all those uh, testimonies where, you know, you remember, like, you remember when we met in that place and it was hot and we preached the Word of God and we didn't even have worship music. It's like we didn't do it. We just literally sat down opened up the Bible, preached it, and then we went and met in life groups that week. I mean, it was really just a, a really unique moment in the history of our church. We were so grateful for it. And then, uh, you know, you get to August, and uh, I mean, we did that from, I guess, late June to uh, early August. Don't forget all the kids' camps. And all, Oh, man, the, all the kids' camps. I mean, that was, that was an absolute trip. Uh, it was wonderful. A lot of families that we actually gained, still faithful members of our church, who came to those camps. And we didn't have a building. We weren't even, we weren't even a church yet at that point, and yet pe- parents trusted us with their kiddos, which is just an absolute miracle, and uh, everyone was, was safe, so that was really good. And uh, we start moving. Uh, we move locations, and we start meeting at the Christian Youth Theater on Sunday evenings. If you were here, you remember that Sunday evenings we would have our Bible study there, And then we slowly started introducing things like worship, and we learned that the church that was meeting there on Sunday mornings was leaving. And so then we were able to, on September the 12th, to launch our church officially there at the Christian Youth Theater, and we were just elated to have the kind of facility. Uh, You know, I think we launched with, uh, I don't know, how many I don't remember how many people were at our launch. Yeah,
0: 160 people.
1: At our launch? I don't think that was true.
0: I think it was 160. No,
1: no. I think it was, it was different. We have to look it up. We have to look it up. We have to look it up. I think it was like two-something. Was it not? I think it was. I don't remember. It's been so long, it seems like. Uh, but it was really great. It was a really great opportunity for us to have a place. Gracious uh, Christian Youth Theater was gracious enough to let us in there, knowing that this community is very difficult to find a location, which means the building we're in right now, 2415 Lifehouse Industrial Drive, woo, it was a miracle that we even have this building. So we grew out of the CYT across two services, and uh, ever since we got into this building on Easter, we have not stopped uh, growing and moving, and we've celebrated baptisms and the Lord's Supper, and we've uh, celebrated uh, Easter and, and Christmas, and we've we've really done so much together as a church and seen so many lost people saved, seen so many people in Uh, Get it connected to community. I just can't wait to see what God's gonna do moving forward I mean, you know, we're we're averaging over 300 and something people at church every single Sunday, which and we're only eight months old You know as an official church launch and uh, you know, that is just a a blessing and uh, what we want to see is more people uh, saved and Discipled and we want you to get excited about participating in the Church of God and seeing people saved and, and inviting people to church so they can hear the gospel I mean, this is what we're here for and, um, you know, I just can't imagine, you know, I, I as I think about the next year, the next two years, the next five years of our church, to see all the great things that God's going to do here. So I just want, hope you guys stick with us, and we look forward to really watching and seeing God kind of show off in uh, in this church over the next few years. All right, we have some announcements to end with. Pastor Evan, do you want to give the first—let me give the first two, and you give the second three. <laughs> The first one is Exploring Compass, June intensive on June 12th from 1 to 4 p.m. I'm going to be teaching normally a two-week class and one Sunday afternoon to help you learn about our church, how to get connected, and how to start serving with us. If you have any questions, that's where you can go to get them answered. But you need to register. We're going to have childcare, and we're going to have lunch, and it's going to be a great opportunity, so I can't wait to see you there. Child dedications, hey, our sign-ups have slowed down a little bit. We still have a lot of kids getting dedicated, but we see a lot more little children running around. So we would love for you uh, to bring your child up before the church, to stand before the congregation, to commit to raising your children for the Lord. We're not baptizing them. We're not uh, conferring any type of special grace upon them. All we're doing is partnering with you in prayer and commitment to helping you raise your child in the name of of the Lord. And that's going to happen on June 19th, which happens to be Father's Day. So that'll be a really special opportunity. And you can do that on the 9 a.m. service or the 11 a.m. service. Register online at compasshillcountry.org.
0: All right. Well, the summer months are here, which means we have our summer camps for the Next Gen Ministry. So we have three kids camps that we need to get kids signed up for. And also, if you want to serve let me know, Evan at compasshillcountry.org. But we have three camps. We have the first camp coming up is going to be science camp. That's coming up on June 21st, which is only a few weeks away. And then we have art camp on starting on June 28th. And These camps are going to be uh, really fun because not only will they have fun learning about science and art, we're going to show them how art and science Point to the glory of God. So make sure you, if you have kids or you have grandkids or you know about kids, get them signed up. And we love to have over... If a, they know about kids? Know about kids. If you know kids that in your neighborhood, <laughs> go ahead and get them signed up. We would love to have over 100 kids at each camp. And then, of course, we have our big VBS-type camp, Camp Compass, that's on July 12th to the 15th. And the theme of that is the sanctity of life. And we're going to show the kids how life each person, each human being points to the glory of god and that's the the value that we have as as humans so make sure this is all for all incoming first to fifth graders and we'd love to have them signed up today so we can start ordering the things that we need to order and have a great time, and finally, we have the student summer camp. We have a, it's called Revival. We're taking God at His Word, and it's going to be at Carolina Creek from July 20th to 23rd. We'd love to get as many you know sixth to twelfth graders into this camp to see them learn how to, how God's Word has authority over their lives and how it can guide them to live upright and godly lives in this present age. So, make sure you sign the students up for camp. And the last two announcements are revolving around our men's and women's ministry. Uh, men, we just had our men's breakfast Saturday. Thanks for coming. And then we have our men's fellowship coming on June the 11th. So if you're, uh, make sure you reach out to your life group leader because the life group leaders are planning those fellowships. And then ladies, you have a women's breakfast coming up on June 25th. So save the date, June 25th. It's a Saturday for the women's breakfast.
1: All right, Compass, we will see you soon. Continue reaching, teaching, and training people for Christ.